We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Go, you Redbirds! Go, you Redbirds! On the battle, fight for ISU! Welcome to In the Nest, the Illinois State Athletics podcast. Now, here's the voice of the Redbirds, John Fitzgerald. Hi again, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of In the Nest, the Illinois State Redbirds official weekly podcast from Learfield. This is John Fitzgerald, and coming up on this week's show... We'll take a look back at all the dark mode action from a busy weekend in the Twin Cities, as well as a conversation with the head men's tennis coach at Illinois State, Mark Kleisner, whose club will host their sixth annual Redbird Invitational this coming weekend at the Gregory Street Courts. But first, let's get you caught up on all the latest action in Redbird athletics from this past week. As Brock Spack at the Redbird football team saw their two-game winning streak come to an end in agonizing fashion on Saturday night before a capacity crowd inside Hancock Stadium. The 84th meeting all-time between the Birds and SIU was dominated by the antagonists from Carbondale over the first 30 minutes of the ball game, as the Dogs held a commanding 19-0 lead at the break. However, after the turn, ISU rattled off 14 unanswered points, behind a pair of touchdown passes from quarterback Zach Anikstead to make it a one-score game late in the fourth quarter. The Birds' rally fell just short, deep inside Saluki territory, as SIU escaped with a 19-14 win. Anikstead finished his night completing 26 of 47 passes for a season-high 243 yards, along with those two touchdowns. Senior linebacker Zeke Vandenberg led all defenders as the Freeport native registered a career-high 14 stops on the night to go along with three-and-a-half tackles for a loss and his conference-leading sixth sack of the campaign. 
For the third time in four weeks, Vandenberg was named the Missouri Valley Football Conference's Defensive Player of the Week. Vandenberg now leads the Valley in tackles, tackles for a loss, and sacks, despite only playing four games over the last five weeks. The Birds will head to Northern Iowa this Saturday for a date with the Panthers in Cedar Falls. Allie Matters and the Redbird volleyball team opened a two-match conference homestand on Friday nights against Valparaiso, and the black-clad Redbirds dropped a 3-1 decision to the 14-2 Beacons before a crowd of over 3,200 inside Redbird Arena. Junior Caitlin Pronzinski posted a team-high 12 kills in the losing effort. The Birds were then bested by an identical 3-1 score on Sunday afternoon as UIC rallied from a 1-0 deficit to pull out the hard-fought win. Freshman Ada Shadewald had 14 kills to pace the Birds on Sunday afternoon. After a midweek match at Bradley, the Birds will head down to Iowa for a pair of Valley contests, taking on Drake Friday night in Des Moines before closing out the weekend in Cedar Falls with a Saturday night tilt at UNI. The ISU soccer team opened their conference weekend last Thursday night with a 2-0 setback at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Redshirt freshman goalkeeper Audrey Brown stopped a career-high eight shots in the losing effort. Marissa Kresge's club returned to Adelaide Street Field on Sunday afternoon and dropped another heartbreaker as the Belmont Bruins posted the 1-0 shutout of the Birds. Birds are back home tomorrow night as Valparaiso comes calling for a 6 o'clock start. ISU will then travel to Murray State for a Sunday matinee to close out the weekend. The men's and women's cross-country teams were in Columbia, Missouri last Friday night, taking part in the University of Missouri's Gans Creek Classic. Eleven different runners posted career bests over the men's and women's races. The Redbird women finished ninth in the 24-team field as senior Caroline Myers paced ISU with a time of 21-24, which marked the eighth fastest time in school history in the 6,000-meter race. The ISU men finished 11th amid their 22-team field as Baptiste Tardiveau finished with a time of 24-14, which places the native of France as the sixth fastest 8,000-meter runner in ISU history. The Redbird women's golf team posted an 11th place finish earlier this week at the Johnny Imes Classic at the University of Missouri. Senior Allie Schrock finished 6th overall for the tournament with a three-round total of 219. Schrock tied a school record on Tuesday as the Pontiac native carded a 68, which equaled the lowest single-round score in ISU history. And finally, Nam, Pham, and Melker Isaacson each pulled off hard-fought victories this past Sunday at the ITA All-American Tennis Championships, which were being held in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Birds will return to campus this weekend for the 6th Annual Redbird Invitational. The three-day tournament will kick off on Friday at the Gregory Street Courts. That's a quick look at some of the latest headlines in Redbird Athletics. When we come back, we'll sit down with Illinois State men's tennis coach, Mark Kleisner, as In the Nest continues 
right after this timeout. Join us as we start up the basketball season Thursday, October 27th from noon to 1 at the Aaron Leach Stadium Club for the men and women's basketball tip-off luncheon. The luncheon will feature head coaches Kristen Gillespie and Ryan Peden along with members of their staffs. Tickets are $20 per person or buy a table of eight for $160 and get a chance to sit with the coach or student athlete. Tickets can be purchased at GoRedbirds.com slash promotions by using the promo code TIPOFF22 or call the Redbird Ticket Office at 309 Welcome back to In the Nest. We're joined this week by Illinois State head men's tennis coach Mark Kleisner, now in his 10th campaign at the helm of the Redbird men's tennis team. And coach, thanks so much for stopping by this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You guys are in the midst of your fall season. And for those who don't know, you end up splitting your season a little bit at the Division I level in men's tennis. Yeah, the fall is primarily just fall tournaments. Um, you know, there's some national tournaments like the one we just got back from uh, last weekend. But, yeah, it's really the fall and the spring are very different for us. We, we kind of say we're a year-round sport, but really the fall, it's more of a developmental stage, um, getting the guys playing tournaments, getting the, you know familiar with them, working on certain things or more specifics, doubles, pairings, that type of stuff. So when the January rolls around and really the meat of the schedule uh, in conference and play and all that in the spring, then we're uh, we're ready to go. It's interesting as you look at the fall and you talk about doubles pairings, who are the most effective pairings going forward into the spring? Is that what you're trying to find out a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a chemistry thing. Um, you know, just like any, you know, team type sports for us, when you just got two players, you just got to find the right two that fit, that know each other's games, that get along <laughs> for that. Um, and just, uh, you know, they just seem to gel and they kind of, you know, uh, are just like a rubber band out there. They just, you know, so it takes a little bit of time. You have to play around and that's what the tournaments are for. You, you mix and match pairings, you let them play uh, with each other, practice the same thing. And you just kind of watch from afar and see, you know, because you can work on doubles things and, and individual, you know, type drills and, and things like that. But you really just want to watch them and see how they kind of, I don't know, you know, cohabitate with each other, you know, on the court and see, okay, yeah, you know, I like what I'm seeing, whether or not you want to keep them going. And then, you know, it's a struggle because you, you, you kind of limit it on time and what you can do in the fall and how much time. So you want to get them playing together as much as possible, but also trying different combinations. So when January rolls around, yeah, you've got somewhat of an idea of who you're going to at least put out there. Although there's a pretty good likelihood come April, it might be totally different <laughs> pairings. But I, I feel like at least we have a better idea by that point. And that's the goal, really. I got to think the fall is highly important for your newcomers as well, especially those true freshmen who need to get accustomed to the day-in, day-in grind of college tennis. Yeah, absolutely. And this year especially, I got five freshmen, one transfer. Um, and, and in our sport, that's a lot. Um, so I'm not sure why I did that to myself. But uh, <laughs> I brought five freshmen, and they are true freshmen. So, um, But they're really good guys. You know, For the first time in probably my coaching career, we made the top 25 recruiting class in the country. So it's a really talented bunch of guys. But they're freshmen. Um, the transfer is a good kid too, and he's a really good player, and he he's acclimating as well. But it really is, you know, these guys. I guess the biggest difference is when they're coming from either national programs or they're training on their own and they're traveling around the world playing futures and ITFs. You know, it's it's really just about them. And they get here, they and yes, now they still have a private coach and actually got more coaches that get to work with them. 
but it's not so individual as it is when they're at home and they get to work with a private coach one-on-one for most of the time. And then, yeah, they'll hit with other players. But for here, it's just they have to get used to how we do things. You know, we, we, don't ha- we can't play five, six hours a day. You know, the rules don't permit it. And these kids, some of them are used to doing that back home. And so now you're trying to teach them how to really get the most out of practice, what they usually would do five, six hours at home, and they get it knocked out in two, two and a half here. You know, and then they still got weights and conditioning three, four times a week, and, and then all the other little things. And then, of course, they got to study and, you know, do all their schoolwork. So it, the fall is also another reason why we kind of use that to get them acclimated. So when the spring comes around and we're playing maybe 20 to 25 matches and we're traveling or, you know, playing matches every weekend, these guys are a little more equipped to handle it and, um, you know, a little smoother transition for them as opposed to a kid coming mid-year which is really tough on these guys. You bring up a really interesting dynamic from the the individual and team standpoint. This is obviously an individual sport. As you said, a lot of the, your players have had private coaches, have been very individually driven up to this point, trying to get a college scholarship, trying to figure out where they're going to matriculate to. Now all of a sudden they are in that team setting. And from a culture standpoint, as you try to win conference championships and advance the program, that marriage isn't always the easiest thing to kind of cultivate. Is that something you really have to rely on upperclassmen to help dictate from a culture standpoint? Yeah, I mean, because they've all been there before. So it's one thing if a coach is telling a freshman, you know, hey, this is how it goes, this is how it works and all that. Well, of course, they expect us to say it. So they need to hear it from the upperclassmen, the the captains, um, anybody who's been here more than a year who can kind of – you know, relate and tell them, hey, this this is how things are. This is what you, you need to get used to. It's not about you anymore. You know, we're kind of an individual sport, but at the same time, we play for a team. And so where you're traveling in juniors and all that around the world or wherever, and you're playing for you, it was about you. And now, you know, you're here and you're playing for a team. And all we care about is how do we do as a team? And so that's a huge adjustment for a lot of these guys. You know, they have these ambitions, all of them. They either want to go pro uh, after college, which awesome because that's basically the type of kid that I want to recruit is the ones that you know potentially will go pro or want to go pro at least. Um, but they also, uh, you know, they they all want to play number one, and not everybody can play one on this team. And I don't need everybody to play one. You know, sometimes some years I have a number one. I don't need another number one. I need a two, a three, a four, five, six, you know, and some solid doubles teams. So, you know, getting the kind of the egos or the arrogance or, you know, cockiness, if you will, to get knock that out of them. And so they understand that, okay, they're here as a team. You know, if they want to go play individual, then try to go pro, you know, but good luck. This is probably the best training, you know, um, base for them if they want to take that next step. Now we talk about the fact this is year number 10 for you at Illinois State. You had spent the previous three as the head men's coach at Youngstown State, the last two of which you had a dual role as also the head women's coach for the Penguins and had a lot of success in the Horizon League. But you're obscenely well-traveled, native of Denmark, (laughs) then Winnipeg, I believe, and then somehow you matriculate down at University of South Carolina, Aiken, and had an outstanding career down there. Yeah, um, I was – Born and ra- yeah, born and raised in Denmark. Well, if you really want to go, back. I was made in Norway. Born and raised in Denmark. <laughs> we moved to Canada for my hockey and my tennis. Um, I was a big hockey player, so um, I'm keeping the language clean for this interview. But um, and so you know, mom and dad told me at one point or another, all right, you got to pick one, you know, 
and I, I chose tennis and tennis is fortunately kind of it's taken me to South Carolina um, it took me onto the pro ranks so traveled the world playing uh, for about four years as a pro and then after that kind of got into the coaching gig you know and just got bit by uh, when I started at a JUCO and I thought you know what this is what I want to do well like many coaches in our profession you know you bounce around trying to find that one spot or until you find your wife who tells you that this is you know this is it then that this is it <laughs> so um <laughs> i met my wife when i met i got here and yeah so here i am um but yeah no it's been a lot of fun um it's a grind but i've seen a lot of parts of the country live different places and i can't lie you know it probably has helped in recruiting and in you know networking with other you know uh, areas of the country as well and being a little more familiar with uh, coaches and academies and and so on you talk about getting that bug for coaching did that happen prior to you going into it because you took that junior college job out in washington at green river community mm-hmm. college correct mm-hmm. and spent two years there there had to be an impetus prior to that though that eh, i want to give this coaching thing a bit of a try yeah i got a taste of when i was in college um you know, I was assistant at South Carolina, and then I, when I moved to Seattle, I helped out at University of Washington as well, and so I kind of got a taste of, hmm, you know, this might be something I want to do down the road, and I had a good friend of mine who was coaching at Green River, and he had an opportunity to jump onto the tour and coach a couple uh, women on the WTA tour, and so he told, he, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, maybe my interest, and, and so he told the AD, the AD called me and was like, hey, any interest in, you know, in this job? And I think by lunch, I went down there, met with them. We talked, and by in the afternoon, he's like, the job's yours if you want it. And said, okay, you know what? Yeah, why not? And that's what got it. You know, once I got into that and I was coaching the men and the women, I just realized, wow, like this is, I think this is what I want to do. I want to transition from just being a private coach, you know, running an academy, uh, which I had in, you know, just south of Seattle there to, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to do that full time anymore. I want to get into the college ranks. And, so it was just kind of step by step from there. So, and then your assistant coaching realm went over to New Jersey at Fairleigh Dickinson, mm-hmm. Austin P, and then ended up at Youngstown State. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned, you guys really had an opportunity to turn around those programs and a lot of success in the Horizon League, both on the men's and the women's side for the last two years when you coached there. Obviously, you established yourself at Youngstown State as a Division One head coach. You're there three years. How difficult a thought process then was making the move to Illinois State at that point in your career? Surprisingly not hard at all, except for my players. Uh, anybody who plays for me um, knows how I feel about them, how I, you know, how I am as a coach. I'm very... Um, I've, I spend a lot of time on the relationships with my players and they're essentially like my, my kids. Um, and, and so for me, who's closer with his players, probably the most 99% of the coaches out there. Um, I get, I get really invested, really emotionally invested in them. And so leaving Youngstown, which was like my first head coaching job, uh, in division one, uh, and getting to know these players, these are all players that I brought in. I think the year I left, I had like five guys and five girls that were all going to be seniors the following year. And I was missing their senior year. And the Illinois State opportunity came up. 
and uh, it, w it was one that was like, okay, I'll listen to it. You know, I, I mean, it's always good to just kind of hear them out and, you know, practice interviews, I guess. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what? I'll, yeah, why not? You know, let me, let me hear them out. So I interviewed and, and it well, went well enough that they wanted to fly me up. And I was actually on vacation <laughs> with my son down in Texas. So they flew me up from down there. Um, but uh, when I got offered the job here, you know, I told... Youngstown, or I told, you know, ISU, I said, listen, you know, my, my only request is that I, can I come a couple weeks late? You know, because I want to wait till all my players fly back, and I want to be able to tell them in person that I'm leaving, because it was, and that was probably one of the hardest things I've done in my professional career. And the greatest, I guess, you know, reward of it was every player was, like, happy for me. That meant, okay, you know, that I had such a good relationship with it, they understood that I was just, trying to better my career, you know, and, and maybe move to maybe what was seen as like a bigger program. And, and they respected that. And so it was, it was a tough move from that standpoint. From a tennis side, I felt like this, you know, I was moving up in, in the coaching ranks and I was being able to, okay, an opportunity where they flew me in here. I was, I was just treated like first class by everybody. Um, from the athletic directors, the associate ADs, and it was just, I was so impressed with how they ran things here and how they treated everybody, and even being a tennis coach. I'd been in many, many, many interviews with different schools around the country, and it, very few where I had an athletic director actually spend majority of the time with me. And it just doesn't happen in the tennis world. It happens in the, the basketballs and the footballs, and rightfully so. But the tennis world, yeah, it's not always the case. And so it just meant a lot to me as someone who does you know, it was very personable with their players and team and, and kind of thing. It was, that was a big thing. And so it wasn't a huge uh, decision to make to come here. It was a pretty easy one just based off of all that. And so, yeah, never looked back. So now what a lot of people might not know unless they follow this program closely here at Illinois State is obviously you were members of the Missouri Valley Conference for Men's Tennis, but now members of the Summit League because of the lack of numbers that the Missouri Valley Conference had to sponsor. So currently in the Summit League, a totally different ballgame with regard to travel and just what you have to do on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, that's, that's the environment of college athletics. Conferences change, you know, schools move and, and things like that. And I was part of that mix. And so we lost some teams to other conferences, some dropped tennis programs. And you know, we went from a great conference in Missouri Valley. It was run very well. We enjoyed it and all that. But that's that's how it goes. And the Summit League was gracious enough to reach out to us in another school and say, hey, we would love for you guys to join, which is, you know, obviously that's a tremendous, uh, you know, thing. And, 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 you know, something that meant a lot that they would, you know, they wanted us a part of their league. So, um but the travel is very different <laughs> from the Missouri Valley to the Summit League. For someone who's traveled a lot, I guess maybe it's not as big a deal. I don't mind the travel. Um, I will say, having lived uh, a part of my youth in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, and playing numerous, I mean, probably hundreds of weekends in Grand Forks, North Dakota, never did I think I would be back to Grand Forks, North Dakota, unless I had a pair of hockey skates on. And now I find myself in the conference with a school, and I'm going to Grand Forks to play tennis. So 
it, it's funny how uh, <laughs> things <laughs> change. But no, the Summit League's been it, it's it's a challenge. It's a it's a really good conference in terms of level of tennis. There's some really good teams that are in our conference. Uh, the travel's a little tough when you. It, I mean, we love going to Denver. Denver is a beautiful place, but playing in altitude is such an advantage, you know, for for the home team. And so. Um, and going to Tulsa is always a fun place in Omaha. I like Omaha as well. So, yeah, you know, it, it's it's fun. And for me, again, it comes down to the kids. You know, they get to see some places where, I mean, let's be honest, not one of these kids ever thought they'd go to Grand Forks, North Dakota, <laughs> right? So, you know, now they get to see what Grand Forks is like, and, you know, and then they get to look forward to going to Denver. <laughs> so... <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I know it's, and we'll see what the future holds. You know, we'll, we'll see if Missouri Valley maybe one day starts up. That'd be great. You know, I know there's, there's some other schools and maybe it would limit our travel, you know, but you know, until if, and, and until that time comes, then, uh, you know, we just, uh, keep grinding away in the summit league. You've had some outstanding individual performance performers, I should say during your 10 years here at Illinois state and the most recent one, Nam fam, the Summit League Player of the year ago, year ago, and really anchoring a team coming back this year that has an opportunity to be incredibly talented. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nam's probably, in terms of domestic kids, probably the highest-ranked recruit I've ever personally recruited as a coach. Uh, he was borderline top 25 in the United States. And so when uh, when you're at that level, I mean, and he comes on a visit to the school, I took a chance. I was like, okay, the only way I'm getting this kid if, is if I give him a visit. And he made a visit, and even when we were sitting at dinner and he got, you know, a phone call from three power five schools while we're eating dinner, and I'm thinking, okay, well, it was, he just got a free trip to normal Illinois because I'm not so sure I'm going to be able to get him now. But, you know, he fell in love with, I'd like to say, me and, you know, my assistant at the time and the guys on the team and just kind of what we're trying to do. And I think he wanted, you know, to him it was something he wanted to be a part of. And so it's been a little uh, learning curve for him because he is my current number one. Um, and as much as the other guys, you know, want to be number one, Nam has fully learned that you don't just become number one. You kind of have to learn how to be a number one. And, you know, you have to carry yourself a certain way. And so he's made tremendous strides from his first couple of years to last year being unanimous, you know, every coach voting uh, for him as player of the year. And so coming back this year, obviously I think he's got a tougher challenge you know he's got to try to repeat that and we know that you know repeating in anything uh in sports is, is tough enough as it is so we'll see uh what he can do but the, the players that I've surrounded with him this year he's got you know one of his best buddies is also a senior they're co-captains together this year as well and they're doing a phenomenal job to start off and so you know and and they got a lot of work too you know I say you know a lot of the work is on me with five freshmen and a transfer but it's it's also on them, and I throw it on them, and I let them kind of run with it, and let them, you know, because that's the only way they're going to learn. At least in my world, you know, it's, you know, let them do as much as they want to do, and and learn kind of as they go. So they've taken the role of trying to lead this group, and um, and then you know, kind of learn from me on the way as to how to do things or how to say things and, and things like that. But no, Nam's been a tremendous player for me. He's in fact even told me in the last week or so that he's going to come back and play his extra COVID year. Uh, for me so I get him even back for another year so I'm sure the other teams in the conference are not going to like to hear that but for me I, I can't be more thrilled. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. 
a performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash and you're just coming off a weekend down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Nam, as well as Melker Isaacson, had really impressive weekends down at the ITA All-American Tournament in Tulsa. And while it's not necessarily a team event, it's a huge step up competition-wise for your individual players. Yeah, I mean, all the players. They, everybody hears about it. It's just such a hard event to get into. You have to qual- basically kind of not qualify by play, but qualify by ranking, UTR rating. Um and we're talking there's pre-qualifying, which is a 256-man draw to get into the 128 qualifying draw to get into the 64 main draw. You win, you have to win 13 matches to win the entire tournament if you're coming out of pre-qualifying. It's next to impossible. And so these guys, they start off in the pre-qualifying. I mean, there's guys with world rankings, like pro ATP world rankings that are in the pre-qualifying. So the, in other words, they're playing the best of the best. You know, you, And so... They had a tough draw, but that's, I mean, I guess you, anybody they're going to play is a tough draw. Um, and, and they held their own. They, they played very well in the first match. And uh, they had chances. Melker especially had a, he, he played a guy from Penn State who's, uh, you know, plays three or four for them um, and had a winning record in the Big Ten. So it's, you know, kind of playing up against that kind of a level. Was, you know, and Melker lost a close one, four and four. And so... He, uh, you know, he learned a lot. And the next day, these two, they came out. And it's it's one of those that could be a little discouraged when you're playing All-Americans because these guys come down there. It's a long drive for us to get down there, eight hours. And you don't know. You might only play one match. And But, you know, these two, they've they've just worked so hard and earned it in the classroom and on the tennis court. It's like, it's you know, it's the least I can do is take them to these type events and let them kind of see where they stand with the big boys. And, um, you know, you come into this kind of event and you're just so – fired up and you want to do so well you got all these ideas and you know dreams of okay maybe I can win a few rounds and I can move up and all this which obviously those are the type of players you want but when you lose the first round it's like okay now we're really going to see what kind of character you know you have in your players and when they came back out the next day and Nam took it to his guy that he played um, and Melker after dropping the first set against his opponent who was just I mean actually kind of putting you know a can of you know what on him uh, Melker just turned it around 
and pulled out the next two sets. So, you know, they, they walked away both pretty happy, um, very excited about, you know, that they at least, you know, got a couple matches out of it. And more than anything, I think they, they got another opportunity to watch the best players in the country and get an idea of where do they stand, how do these guys, you know, measure up to them and, you know, and where they want to be. Talked about the fact that Nam, who was, as we mentioned earlier, the Summit League Player of the Year last year, was one of the highest recruits you've had here in your 10 years. Let's talk about recruiting for a minute. Nam's from Kansas, I believe, if that's correct. Yeah. But eight of your 11 players are international players. How in the world do you even go about putting together a recruiting list? Yeah, that one's simple. My wife and I just talked at the beginning of the summer, and we just say, all right, where do we want a vacation? So let's just find some countries that we want to go on vacation at. And, yeah, that's where we'll recruit base of. So it's surprising I don't have anybody from, like, Bahamas or, <laughs> or Bermuda or anything on the team yet. And instead I've got uh, from all over South America and Europe and, and all that. But, um, yeah, I mean, our sport, I guess the start, I mean, our sport's an international sport for the most part. You know, the United States is just filled with so many different sports and it's kind of every kid, you know, plays a bunch, you know, growing up. So, and tennis is just one of those, a little bit, I guess, narrowed down to there's not as many sports being played in these other countries. So there's just more kids that are playing tennis. It's funded better in a lot of these other countries. So it, it just kind of gives us a little more options um, in terms of recruiting. And Division One tennis, I think we're at maybe 66, 67% of Division One men tennis players are international. So it's and it's always been that it's been like that since I was in college. It was actually higher, I think, when I was in college. But um, and so it, it's this is kind of the wave that has been going. So I've got players from all over the place. You know, my freshman class, even this year. I mean, I've got two two from Mexico, one from Chile, one from Croatia, and one from Australia. Um, and then I've got and then I got a kid from in, uh, Evansville, Indiana. So not too international there. But, uh, and then, you know, and you combine that and you throw in, I got two guys from Sweden and then I've got another, uh, young man from Chicago and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a very international team. There's no rhyme or reason to where or how, but that's just kind of how it's, yeah. Internationally, as you said, tennis is maybe more of a priority across the board in some of those countries, as you said, funded better. So for players to come overseas to the United States from a recruiting standpoint, you know, it really has to cross a lot of T's and fit a lot of boxes. And in doing so, Illinois State has done that, won those battles, and a big part's your ability to kind of combat the climate of central Illinois during the winter and go inside with some really top-notch facilities. It is, and I think the number one reason, you know, I'm international myself, so I can relate to these kids. You know, I was them at one point or another. I know what it's like to come over, you know, and I was bordering between Canada and Denmark when I was coming over here, so I just know what it's like. And so the internationals is just different. You know, the American kids typically from a very early age, they know if they want to play college athletics or not. I mean, most of them, I think, probably all say, oh, I want to be a professional athlete, right? Okay, great. But they also will say, no, I want to play in college. They know that's the route you have to go first, usually. So where the internationals, it's not something that they talk about from an early age. It's, no, it's not till when they become, like, maybe 16, 15, 16, 17. And then the idea starts floating around in their head that, oh, well, maybe I could go to the United States and I could, you know, play and get an education. Um, 
they don't have the outside factors of like you know parents and and kind of pressing as to where they want their kid to go and what school you know that they went to well I want you know my kids going there as well or what team they followed growing up maybe they were into like a certain football school or you know and so the internationals they don't have any biases they don't have any thing that's kind of um uh, you know picking and choosing as to why they should come over or where they should come over here really for a lot of the internationals it's about the academics first and foremost they're going to ask you know what's your business school like what's your engineering what's your you know all the different uh, majors it's kind of the first questions because they really need to be enticed as to why should they come over here you know and then you got this some of them that are like okay well i want to you know maybe play professionally after and they know that okay come play division one tennis you're surrounded by amazing players you get to train with every day it's free training basically for them you know free coaching i mean that's something mom and moms and dads haven't had to you know haven't had ever up to this point and they've had to pay a lot of money for them to play this sport and so it the internationals is more just convincing it's sometimes it's actually just convincing why they should even come over here um it's kind of yeah it's a totally different story so therefore when they don't necessarily have all these you know things pulling them different directions is why to go to a certain school it's just really just okay the relationship they build with me or you know if we've got what they want to study and then kind of painting the picture of what life is going to be like here and so uh yeah you can get a really top international player just based off all that whereas the domestic kids or the american kids are, are a little bit tougher because they have you know all these other you know things that are kind of pulling at them why they should go to a school and the prior not necessarily the priorities but you know they're, they're used to the glitz and glamour of ncaa sports they're used to seeing big stadiums and mm-hmm. just fancy you know stuff like that and so that's what a lot of these kids want to be a part of they see that you know and the internationals don't really know all that or don't see all that all they know is oh it's a university is it any good <laughs> like is the academics strong that's kind of where they go you know they head first so it's it makes it fun because it's totally two different ways of recruiting um but uh when you get them all here and they're all together i think it's one of the greatest things when you've got kind of a mixture between the american kids on the team and the internationals i mean there's no better way of learning each other's cultures and where you're from and how you grew up and i I think that's amazing and and watching them over the years all visit each other you know, some of my American kids going over to Europe or down to South America or where have you, you know, and getting to see, oh, wow, like this is, this is where you came from. This is what life is like, you know, and I think that's amazing that they get to do that. So really creates a really interesting and, and strong bond after their playing career too. I would think your alumni base is really tight as a result of that. Maybe it's not physically all the time and via Microsoft Teams or things like that, but it's one that they really bond, I bet, because they don't have other people to really rely on or lean on. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that will, for me, the biggest thing that comes to mind is it's the relationship the coach has with the player, with the internationals. Um, In terms of alumni, if, you know, it's very customary in the U.S. to give back. You know, you go to a school, your school's going to probably call you the rest of your life. Hey, do you want to donate? You know, you want to help out? Well, you just vested in that school. You you know, you watch your school play football, basketball, whatever, for years and years and years after you graduate. So you want to, like, give back. You want to help out. You want to you want to see your team do well, you know, or your school do well. The internationals, it's just, you know, if they go to university at home, and I can tell you, you know, being from Denmark, you know, university's free. Um you don't give back to the school. You just, that's just not something you do. You don't, 
donate money back to the schools that you go to. Um, you don't always necessarily play sports for them either, but you just it's not something that happens. So the biggest challenge I have in having internationals on, on a team is just kind of, I guess, you know, teaching them kind of how things are done over here. Giving back is a great thing. Um, and really showing them firsthand what the money that comes from former players, alumni, and how it helps our program. And I'm very open and transparent with my players and say, and explain like why some of the things we're able to do, some of the things we can, uh, you know, places we can travel to, all the equipment that they have, that a lot of, you know, some of it's coming from donors and alumni who at some point or another, maybe I've had that conversation with them and explained, okay, this is how good and how, you know, much you can really affect a program by giving back. And, you know, everybody hates asking for money. It's always a kind of an awkward thing to do. But the more of the picture you can paint for your players and explaining, like, this is where it goes. You know, it's not like it's just getting wasted or, you know, how, what kind of experience did you have here? Well, this is where, this is why we try to raise money and this is where the money goes. So you have that unbelievable experience. Now, don't you want to give a future Redbird that same experience? And so it's, it's really just trying to build that rapport and teach them, you know, that it's, yeah, it's something that's very common. We do it over here. But that's not the reason why I'm asking. You know, I'm asking because look what it's done for your program when you've played for me. And so, you know, and the things that we've done, the fundraising efforts we've done, and we've got some great donors out there that have, uh, you know, been awesome for us. And um, and they follow the team. And sometimes we see them around the country when we're in different areas. And, you know, in, in the last, I think it was last time we did the Support Your Sport, and I think we even won the uh, – well, two years ago, we won the, the fundraising campaign um, and had the highest percentage of alumni, you know, donating back. And I had every player that's ever played for me and every GA that's worked for me all donated something, hmm. you know. So it, it's a start. And then going back to the players that were before me, and we've got several that donate and are, are have been unbelievable, it's just still trying to reach out and kind of broaden um, our alumni base. But, you know, we're, we are a smaller program, so we don't have – you know, as much as what some of the other teams do. Fast forward now to this weekend, beginning on Friday at the Gregory Street Courts. You guys are hosting the 6th Annual Redbird Invitational. What can fans expect for this weekend? So we do uh, a little different format than the typical flighted tournament. The, you know, it is a flighted tournament, but in a different way. So we call it, we do what we call a Davis Cup format. So you're, it's kind of like you're, you're playing in pairs. So you're going to have a doubles match. So you're going to have two guys are going to play doubles against the other school, and then they're going to play singles against those same two players. And then whoever wins two out of those three matches move on to the next round. Um, it's, it's not something that's been done. Uh, it's not really done around the country much, but I started doing it, I think, three years ago. And it was such well taken by all the players were, you know, complimenting and the coaches were loving it. And so we're excited to do the sixth one. And so it looks right now, weather's going to be dry. It might be a little chilly in the mornings, but I think we're dry. And that's all I really care about as long as it's dry. Um, so we can be outside. The kids, you know, they don't care. Once they're warmed up, they're good. It's more the coaches. We're kind of, maybe we'll get a little bit colder. But, um, yeah, we're expecting... Um, God, uh, Eastern Illinois, Chicago State, um, DePaul, uh, Bellarmine, Western Michigan, uh, Lindenwood, Illinois is going to send some players over, and 
I, I don't know why, but Central Florida is sending some players up. They want to get a taste of the little colder weather, I guess. They want to get out of there. So, um, and I, I know the coaches there as well. So that, yeah, they're sending some players up. So we're, it's going to be uh, it's going to be some really good competition. Um, and uh, we'll go the three days. And you know, we've done very well in our own event. And so the guys <laughs> have been borderline threatened. We need to keep that up because it's our home event. We need to win, you know, some matches here. So not, nah. but it, you know, for us, it's always fun when you do get a chance to play at home. Well, coach, best of luck this weekend. Thanks so much for stopping by today. Appreciate it. That's head coach Mark Leisner, the head boss of the Illinois State University men's tennis team. He's been our guest here this week. The Redbirds will host the sixth annual Redbird Invitational beginning this Friday. The three-day tournament will take place at the Gregory Street Courts through Sunday. We'll have more on In the Nest right after this timeout. Stay with us. Join us as we start up the basketball season Thursday, October 27th from noon to 1 at the Aaron Leach Stadium Club for the men and women's basketball tip-off luncheon. The luncheon will feature head coaches Kristen Gillespie and Ryan Peden along with members of their staffs. Tickets are $20 per person or buy a table of eight for $160 and get a chance to sit with the coach or student athlete. Tickets can be purchased at GoRedbirds.com slash promotions by using the promo code TIPOFF22 or call the Redbird Ticket Office at 309-438-8000. Welcome back to In the Nest as we take a look at the week ahead in Redbird Athletics. The Redbird soccer team will close out their two-match homestand tomorrow night as Valparaiso makes the trip to Adelaide Street Field for a 6 p.m. Valley match. Marissa Kresge's club will then finish the weekend in Murray, Kentucky on Sunday when they visit Murray State for a 1 o'clock start. Men's tennis will open the 6th annual Redbird Invitational on Friday afternoon. The tournament will run through Sunday at the Gregory Street Courts. Women's tennis will head to Springfield, Missouri to take part in the Missouri Valley Conference Individual Championships. The Valley Championships will run from Friday through Sunday on the Missouri State University campus. Allie Matters and the Redbird Volleyball team will travel to Iowa for a weekend set. The Birds will be in Des Moines on Friday night for a date at Drake. Then on Saturday, ISU will travel to Cedar Falls for a 7 o'clock Valley matchup with UNI. The men's golf team will invade West Lafayette, Indiana on Monday as they play in the Purdue University Fall Invitational, while the ISU women's golf team will take part in Bradley's Coyote Creek Classic in Bartonville, Illinois, that two-day event will get underway on Saturday morning. And finally, Brock Spack and the Illinois State University football team will also be in Cedar Falls on Saturday afternoon as the Birds take on the UNI Panthers. Kickoff is set for 4 o'clock. Our network coverage will get underway at 3 p.m. along the Xfinity Mobile Redbird Sports Network from Learfield. The Brock's Back Show presented by Bud Light returns tomorrow night from the Beer Garden at Schooners. We will be on the air beginning at 6 p.m. on AM 1230 and 102.1 FM WJBC, as well as the Learfield Varsity Network app. Fans make plans to join us next weekend. It's homecoming 2022, the week of October 10th through the 16th. There will be a ton of activities throughout campus, including a blood drive, 5K run walk, a parade, and tailgating. Leading up to the Redbird football team playing host to South Dakota at 2 o'clock on Saturday, October 15th.
For more information on all the homecoming festivities on campus, visit homecoming.illinoisstate.edu. The ISU basketball seasons are right around the corner, and fans can take part in the season kickoff this Friday night as Illinois State hosts HoopFest inside Redbird Arena. HoopFest is a free event and will include player introductions as well as a three-point contest. There will also be an opportunity for fans to get autographs from the members of the men's and women's basketball squads. HoopFest will get underway at 7 o'clock this Friday night inside RBA. And finally, men's and women's basketball season tickets are on sale in the Redbird Ticket Office. Season tickets for the 2022-23 seasons start at just $65 for the women and $100 for the men. Visit GoRedbirds.com slash tickets to secure your season tickets at Redbird Arena this winter. That'll do it for this week's episode for Illinois State Head Men's Tennis Coach Mark Kleisner and our entire crew. This is John Fitzgerald. We'll talk to you next week right here on In the Nest. This has been In the Nest, the Illinois State Athletics Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation on the Xfinity Mobile Redbird Sports Network. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.